Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online, your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for college football, the NFL, plus baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting, plus your favorite casino and card games available to play right on your phone. Head to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to join and be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit state of state is presented by bet online where the game starts also state of state is a proud supporter of blue white outfitters blue white outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence competitiveness and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of penn state university check out the latest lockdown you and lawn boys merchandise today all sales from blue white outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. And if you're looking for the perfect beer for Penn State football season, we've got you covered with the State IPA. Special thanks to our friends at Funk Brewing for creating the perfect tailgate and game day beer for Nittany Lion fans. State IPA will be available at beer distributors, grocery stores, Funk's tap rooms, plus select bars and restaurants beginning tomorrow, Thursday, August 31st. Visit www.funkbrewing.com slash beers slash state dash IPA to learn where and how you can get state IPA. Check out the link in the description of this podcast for more information. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. All right, welcome in everybody. The State of State podcast. Your guest host here, Zach Kaplan, joined by Justin King after Penn State with a dominant win to go to two and zero over the Delaware Blue Horn Blue Hens. Justin, how are we doing today? Feeling good, man. I think I answered a lot of questions from last week whether a little puttery on offense and coming out, but like I feel like they really came out and established an identity, or at least that was a. Uh, uh, a game plan coming in, whether it was Catron Allen getting most of the carries in the first series or first quarter for that matter, and then switching over to Nick Singleton, obviously efficiency by Drew Allers, very impressive, and just the way that they carried the game at the beginning, really like what we saw. 63-7 to seven, Penn State wins over Delaware, a game that they were in control of uh, throughout much of it, favored by a lot of points coming in, and uh, just kind of handling business, not playing with their food, uh, as I like to say. Uh, Justin, I mean, how did you like kind of just speaking to the lawn boys and just the way that they were able to take advantage of this game right off the bat? Like, what did you see with the way they were able to just put Delaware on their heels? I mean, it seemed like they had, they came out with a mission, especially Catron coming out at the beginning. I just established a run, like again, five yards a clip. I think he has a very unique ability of making the first guy miss, whether it's from quick feet or just running through tackles. I, I, I really enjoy watching his running style. Uh, it reminds me of, like that, that Frank Gore in San Francisco, that Frank Gore in the NFL, right? Where he's like a real creasy type of runner where it's very efficient, very wasted movements. Obviously, Nick Singleton had three touchdowns in the first first half, so we can't really yeah. discount <laughs> the production <laughs> there. Uh, but that's what we talk about with the, you know, the long boys, just having that, that 
that group of backs where you can be productive and efficient running the football. I mean, very few carries, very few running plays where it was negative, um, negative yards from the play. That's something that always grinds my gears. So like just the way that they always are getting positive four or five yards a clip. And especially when Catron and uh, Nick, they deliver blows at the end of those um, runs. And when you come out and establish in a run like that, I think we started to see just hit open up, opening up for the quarterback, 22 for 26 from Drew, 204 yards, eight yards a clip, touchdown. I mean, that's efficiency and still scoring 63 points. Uh, again, with, last week I was on, on, on the offense a little bit about just a lack of identity and just how it felt sputter, even though the stats came out. I think today they came out like, we're going to run the football. We're going to pass the ball like this. And I, I really felt really felt that watching the game, like, okay, they're coming out to make a statement that we're bigger, stronger, faster than you guys, and this is how we're going to do it. Hand it off to our running backs, and then pick your poison with Drew. I mean, he hit one, two, three, four, five, six. I mean, he spread the ball like around from the running him. backs all over the place, you know? So, loved it. All right, let's go. I want. I just want to go over a couple stats just to kind of back up what you're saying. Uh, it is Katron who leads the team, uh, gets over the century mark with 103 yards on 19 carries today. It's 5.4 carry for a touchdown. Singleton with most of the rushing tutties, 12, 12 carries, 47 yards for about four yards a carry and the three touchdowns. Um, and then we had a couple of quarterbacks, obviously Drew Aller, Bob Fribola. We had, uh, you know, a couple of guys uh, – they really went pretty deep into the depth chart, which is nice in a blowout like this. And you kind of said it with the offense. It felt like last week it was like some jitters. Like they, they got off to the hot start. I was fired up. I was watching over at my studio. I, I work at a TV station out here in Montana, and everyone thought someone was wrong with me. I said, no, you don't understand. This team can be special. But then like it, it felt like they it's like they got the nerves out of the way last week, but then they kind of stalled in the middle. And uh, today I just felt like they came out, handled business right away, and did not waste any time. A hundred percent. Again, I, I, I lean on that identity piece from just whether from a personnel standpoint or even playing on defense, just knowing what you're going to go up against on the offense. And when they commit to that, they do it well. And run the football is a core piece of what Penn State, I think, should be doing moving forward, even with a dynamic quarterback like Drew Aller uh, coming into the fold. I mean, I was impressed by how they came out and dominated the competition from just a physicality standpoint. Um, spreading the ball around. And again, the way that Catron and the way that Nick run the football are just inspiring to me. Yeah, so Penn State on the day, uh, as a team, they they do they, they ran 60 carries for 315 yards. It's about five yards a pop, six touchdowns on the ground. And it's interesting because I'm out here in Montana and Montana actually runs a 3-3-5 defense. The university does at the FCS level. And part of the issue with the 3-3-5 is when you're not gap sound, you can get totally just blown apart on the edges like that. And I felt like that was, you know, watching Delaware today, it felt a little bit like when I watched Montana and they go against some of these teams that can run the ball really well. And they just, and they just absolutely shred you on the edges. No, absolutely. And again, like you said, there's like, there's different creases, there's bubbles that automatically, or they're just based on alignment. And when you don't have special players, especially when I think there's a, a personnel discrepancy, it shows up, and I think Penn State knew that coming in, and I like how they just attacked it and really didn't get too cute with anything and run the football, maybe a nice little couple screens to the tight ends in the middle of the field, but I feel like it was just straight up some good football being played. Yeah, so a couple other notes I had. Uh, I love the way uh, they immediately come out, Mike Yersich. They came out in a five-wide receiver set, first play on offense. I just I just love that. They, just, they immediately were like, we're not going to mess around, take care of business, 
get you know get our quarterbacks in, get our backups in. I just love that they, they, they this team's not afraid to go empty right off the bat in the game. I mean, but you look at how they spread the around the spread the football around. I mean, from Keandre Lambert, Tyler Warren, Dante Safis, Harrison Wallace, uh, you got Nick Singleton, Theo, like Christian Driver, all these guys, Malik McClain. I mean, he had a great week last week and had one catch yep. this, this week, Amari Evans. Like the the list of receivers and guys that can be capable of producing is deep. And the fact that it seems like Drew Aller doesn't have a favorite target yet, right? Whether outside of Keandre. I, it's pick your poison. And I think when you establish that run game in such a intentional way, I think it sets the tone because playing against defenses, like there's a, there's a physicality component that comes into it. Whether you play gap sound, you're in the right place. You still have to make the tackle. You still have to take on those blows when like someone like Katron is like delivering them at the end or yep. uh, taking on blocks. Like, so there's a physicality that comes with running the football in a, an efficient way that, that really from like a defensive person's standpoint, you don't like when teams commit to that because then it opens it up for different things where you could pass the ball. Right. I mean, you got to still be able to run around, but if you're you got a Charlie horse from getting need in your leg from the, like the 10 run plays, it's a little bit harder to cover the receiver. Or you're just thinking about seeing the run, the, the offensive lineman come off the ball. You're just, you know, make them read their keys and play sound defense. And I think they did that establishing the run early couple other notes I had um, those first two offensive drives uh, not to harp too much on the offense we will talk defense as well because sure. uh, they really only had the one play and otherwise they were pretty nice but I just felt like you know that first drive like they get the holding call and then they're backed up uh, and then the second drive uh, they they had another you know they, they like I feel like in past years they would have settled for field goals on those drives and it's not a knock on those teams like they had talent too but like when people ask me like why like when I, I have Ohio State and Michigan fans in my life being like why do you think they're different? I just think the drives like those first two scoring drives of the game when you have holding penalties when you had a bad snap I think it was a bad snap or something I just go back and check but like those are field goal drives in in the past and this team like they 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 go up fourteen nothing instead of six they kind of put the game away uh, after Delaware had the one long touchdown run and that's why I feel like they can be different it just feels like they have that that other gear where they're unfazed by penalties and mistakes that can then drive sometimes. Yeah. I think you're a complete, I think that's very accurate. It's just the way that they come out and presented their, our offensive game plan and things of that nature. And even on defense, like start off a little shaky with some leaky runs and obviously the long, the long pass, but the long run from the, um, I forget the guy's name. Uh, Yarns, I think, I think, yeah, I think yarns. yeah, yarns, yeah, yarns. Yeah, 66-yard run. Good football name. Yeah, very great football name. But you're right. When you get down to the red zone, from a defensive perspective, we want to hold you to three points. So if you can like march up and down the field all the yards that you want, if you're not putting the end zone, it doesn't matter. And that's a critical factor to just winning the games. Obviously, the turnover battle uh, dictates that a lot. But it's red zone scoring as well for the offense. That's like one of the critical points that you need to take care of. And whether it was 2017, 18, those different teams that had a lot of talent. Some of the things, some of the uh, criticisms that used to come into play were third down conversions and scored in the red zone, right? And I, I do believe that comes from like a toughness and a mentality, whether it's even on defense, where right? I, I don't believe right. tackling is a skill, tackling is a mentality, right? So it's like you want to get somebody to the ground, and it's the same thing when you're running the football. It's, it's a mentality, and it's a mentality set for the whole football team, I believe. So uh, that capping off touchdowns with a, a physical mentality. Um, running the football and then capping it off with touchdowns, 
yes, that's what you see from elite football teams that have typically played <laughs> at the end of the year in the college football playoffs. All right, you're a defensive guy, so, and you mentioned kind of finishing drives. The T formation. I mean, just how frustrating do you imagine it would be to be, you know, on, on your heels, they come out in the T and they just and they can just slice you to death, death in that. How frustrating is that for the defense? Shout out, shout out to Matty Fresh with the T formation, the song, and all <laughs> he that. He loves it, man. Lo- I loves love it, it loves it. He was on point, he made the song about it, but like everyone's not running T formation because now it's the day of the spread out, spread wide, or you know, the I mean, not the empty offenses or you know, high flying offenses throwing the ball around. So just getting back to that old old style of football where you have two running backs and a dynamic, maybe tight end or whoever you want to move into the backfield to do that. Again, I, I, I don't want to harp on the identity piece, but that, that's a toughness formation, right? You see that from the old Green Bay Packers. It just, it's a throwback situation to like, oh, we're not here to play around. So like I playing on defense as a corner, I wouldn't want to see it because typically they're cracking down and making the corners tackle and do all those different things. So I love to see it from our team and going against different offenses. And I think it sets the tone, especially for the defense and they're practicing against that and practice against the offense to sure up that run defense moving forward in a big 10 play. Yeah. It's, I, I just kind of love it. I, I was joking with a buddy during the game that when teams start figuring out how to defend the T, they should just start running that Philadelphia Eagles, like rugby scrum play on uh on short yardage. I mean, I feel like they have so many options with this group as far as short yardage and picking up third and one, third and two. It, it definitely reminds me of like those old, de- not the old days, but I'm going to age myself a little bit, but those Sanford, the 49er teams, when we used to play them, you know, I played in the NFL and NFC West, and they had like Frank Gore, Vernon Davis at tight end, and they had big running backs to the offensive line, Joe Staley, all those guys, and Jim Harbaugh, Michigan head coach, was the head coach yeah. there. And when we tell you they came out with the mentality of like, we're going to run the ball and we're going to create hit seams and different things of that nature. I mean, it, it, it makes you buck up and play football. So like, I love the fact that they're taking that approach and running straight at people, especially from that T formation. It just brings a lot of dynamics that a lot of teams do not practice for anymore. Right. Whether it's limited yeah. tackling in practice, whether it's, you know, the health and safety and all those different things. But at the end of the day, it's a gladiator sport. And to put that in the forefront of your arsenal, I love it. I got to bring it up as a Penn State fan. The winged, the winged helmets. I, maybe, I don't know, maybe it just created like a little hatred with Penn State, even though they, you know, they knew it's not Michigan. But I just hated looking at them all game. Those winged helmets. Just, this bugged me. I don't know how you felt about those. <laughs> you know, I know man, it's still I'm Delaware real- wears, but ugh. See, growing up in Pittsburgh, it's funny because like the winged helmets, I mean, the school here, Willing Hills High School, where Miles Sanders won a lot of good players, Rob Gronkowski, Steve Reston, Mundy. I think they have the most NFL guys um, from the high school. So growing up, they used to have some sweet helmets. Their colors were blue and uh, blue and black or teal and black. So like I grew up, I was like, oh, thinking that was a sweet thing. But obviously, you get to Penn State, you see Michigan and all those different things. It kind of starts to shift away. So I wasn't real fond of the blue. And it's like, it's that old pit. It's that old pit yeah. blue and bright ye- mustard yellow. Like, that's garbage. So, yeah, I feel the same way. <laughs> I have that top of my notes. Just like first drive, I'm like, ah, winged helmets. I'm like, yeah, man, uh, how are we going to feel about these in the middle of November? Gross. Right. <laughs> so um, I made a note about that. Um, the one thing, obviously, in a game like this, you don't want injuries. I don't think – it didn't seem like they had too many. I did know uh, Lambert Smith went down at one point in the first quarter there. He did return in the second quarter, so looked like some sort of ankle issue. But 
think he was okay. Was there any other injuries, anything you noticed as far as like, because you never want 63 to seven. I mean, you know, just get, just get guys in. I don't think I you saw too many injuries, which is the most important thing. No, no, you never want to see that. But the, the one thing that you do see, man, now that you bring up Keandre, I think it happened last week as well that something happened with his ankle because he kept coming back in with his his ankles being spatted, his ankles spatted. So like I was, I noticed that he started the game not having his ankles spatted, and then throughout the game it ended up getting taped. So I don't know if he has like a lingering ankle issue going on or something of that nature. But that is something to look out for. I think I was more concerned with. Obviously, you have to get the reps and different snap counts in for Drew, whether we're going to use um, QB draw and different things of that nature. But every time he took a hit, I was like, ah, don't hurt. Because <laughs> I'm very impressed by him. So, like, just seeing quarterbacks, and he's a big guy, too. And he moves much better than I think I was going to give him credit for coming into the season. So, not really seeing any injuries, but I held my breath every time that he took a hit. Especially when he's, like, out scrambling, like, in the open field. I'm like, ah. <laughs> be careful I'm like, save that save right, that right oh man uh but luckily he's it looked like he was good uh but Pribola obviously came in and I I gotta say I, I I admire the little song and dance that James Franklin has to play uh and really played it throughout all of fall camp and has been doing it um and we'll try I imagine we'll try to do it in some of these blowout games where you have three quarterbacks that you like Jackson Smolik Pribola Pribola and uh Drew Aller and I'm just wondering, like, from your perspective in this transfer portal era, like, how hard is it to make all three of them happy, make it in a, make it in a way where even if they're not the starter, you don't have to worry about those guys going in the portal now? Well, I always it's say that no, it's extremely it's a, it's a challenge. One, the major, major challenge is the talent management piece, right? Just trying to keep your your backup quarterbacks or your third string quarterbacks ready to go, right? Where they're not looking at being disgruntled or be, becoming a cancer on the team. I think that's the tough part. But from my experience, even when I worked at Penn State from 17 to 19 in the recruiting department, we always had some level of packages, whether it was Tommy Stevens, it was working in Clifford, we had Will Levis, who's a first, I mean, second round draft pick, like always trying to rotate different players in. And I think James has a unique ability of building depth and getting guys into the game. Sometimes I used to question, I'm like, because he would rotate corners and rotate linebackers and positions that typically don't rotate too much. And I mean, again, we had dynamic quarterbacks and you had to figure out a way to get snap counts. I'm a firm believer. I mean, just by the stats or you can look at analytical data over historical time that snap counts lead to performance on the field, right? You can't get your reads down. You can't build up like timing and different things of that in that, in that vein as a quarterback without getting snap counts. Essentially, that's where, you know, I don't know if a lot of people know, but like a lot of these spring leagues, that's what they run, they raise money on. That's the, the selling point of it is to drive the quarterback play because it's so hard to find developed quarterbacks. And that's in the NFL, that's in college. I'm, and you see it all the way down to the high school ranks with the emergence of, emergence of uh, the quarterback coach being such a critical piece and the skill-based development of that position. So, I mean, it's hard to find them. And so when you do have two that are good, you have to take care of it in a unique situation. And I think he has, he being James Franklin, has a unique history of managing that well. 
Penn State fans, Smack Apparel has the best gear for talking smack on game day. Head to smackapparel.com today and be ready for week one with the Save a Couch Beat WVU shirt. Also, check out their Let There Be White tee for the whiteout game against Iowa at Beaver Stadium. There's also the Drink Up Roar On tee, as well as the Saturday's We Are design. If you're watching this on YouTube, scan the QR code on the screen to take you to the website instantly on your phone. Visit smackapparel.com and use our promo code STATE10 at checkout for 10% off your order. That's S-T-A-T-E-1-0. Again, that's smackapparel.com, promo code STATE10 at checkout. Why wear boring when you can wear smack? Are you looking for undeniably good hair and beard care? Then Maestro's Classic is perfect for you. Maestro's has beard washes, beard oils, beard butters, plus hair gels, pomades, and now body washes. It's one brand for every man. Visit maestrosclassic.com, that's M-A-E-S-T-R-O-S classic.com, and use our promo code STATE20, that's S-T-A-T-E-2-0, at checkout for 20% off your order. Maestro's Classic, crafting a better you. We talked a little bit about, uh, we're talking about the quarterbacks, obviously. And I I mentioned earlier kind of things that, in my mind, you know, granted two games into the season, but separate this 2023 group from the recent successful teams of the past. We talked about how, you know, they they, they kind of like recover from penalties. They had to hold on the first drive. Like they, the, the, the teams that would have kicked field goals, they're, they're putting in touchdowns. And the other thing I think that separates this group, specific to Drew Aller, his pocket presence is unbelievable. I, I'm so amazed by it. There was, I, I, especially that first touchdown throw we had in the West Virginia game. And then it, it continued today against, you know, a decent FCS front in a 3 3 5 that's designed to bring pressure and designed to make you just your head spin as a quarterback. I can't believe, and as a defensive guy, I'm wondering your perspective on this, like the way he can just have that presence, step up calmly in the pocket, poised, he doesn't look rattled. Like how impressive is that to you from a guy of his experience level? I think I tweeted out at halftime, man, like Drew is cold, like with the emoji with the cold face because he really is. And those, are the, type of, those are the type of movements in the pocket that give you headaches, right? I remember the first time I played against – uh Aaron Rodgers his first starting year after Brett Favre left and that was like the main thing where there for for a time in my life there were ex people would ask me like who was the best receiver that you played against in the NFL I was like, like whoever Aaron Rodgers was throwing to because you had to cover them so long and the ability to put the ball in the bread basket wherever it is we talk about talk about the first drive against West Virginia like I think that one play the play action play where he stepped up and hit Keandre on the TRC route like that's an elite type of pass that I don't know if many quarterbacks can make from uh, escapability in the pocket, stepping up and delivering a strike. And even when we talk about the play today where he hit Dante Cephas on a crossing route, he was like was trapped in the pocket, got some escapability, kept his eyes downfield, turned his hips and you know, throw a dart. I mean, I'm growing up in Pittsburgh, so that looks reminiscent to the days of Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, like how he pretty much yeah. built up his whole career. So when I see that with someone that's a little bit more mo, a little bit more mobility, uh, I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a fan of Drew. I, I hate the, I don't like the crown players too early because it's like puts a little pressure on them. But like, I like those things. And as a defense, I like them because as a, from a defensive standpoint, I would hate playing against it. <laughs> and I think, and I think he's earned it. I mean, you look at his stats today, 22 of 26 through the air for 204 yards and a tutty, no picks, uh, adds another 27 yards on the ground on five carries and another touchdown. I mean, I, and that was like, 
I mean, they probably didn't throw him like totally out there for obvious reasons. And obviously uh, they pull him at, I think I had at the nine, 941 mark of the third quarter is when he came out and Pribola came in. So like, I mean, he did that in, you know, two and a half quarters. Uh, it's just so impressive to me the way he's just like taken over the starting role and like totally put his own spin on it. And yeah, I think he's a special player. Hundred percent. I, I like I, I, I liked talking about the the promise of players or just the results that we see. But I mean, for my for myself, I I feel like I've seen Drew putting in work for a long time with his quarterback coach Brad uh, Mantler with the QBX out in Ohio. I think Gunk, the, the quarterback coming into Penn State next year, also trains with him. But we talk about that development early, whether it's the seven hundred seven in high school. Some people have a negative connotation to it, but I think the benefactors of just that whole ecosystem are quarterbacks, the specialty. I mean, you got Daryl Clark having QB, a flight QB seventeen um, in Ohio as well. So just these different elite quarterback coaches getting players ready in high school. Start to, you start to see the outcomes when they step onto the field and being able to make plays like this, reading the defense a certain type of way, ball placement, moving on the run, turning their hips and throwing and different things like that. Another one is Quincy Avery down in Atlanta. But just these quarterback, I mean, I don't want to say gurus, but like development coaches that are getting guys ready for the totality of the game, right? Because I think just left to any just your quarterback coach, I think there's a limited ability of development. They actually have a time limit in which they can spend with guys in college. And now when guys have their own coaches and trainers and continue to get better in development, the guys that really lean into that, we see them making those steps. I mean, I'm not going through the list of quarterbacks that I've seen right. going through high school, but Drew is one of those guys where it was very evident that he was putting in the work. I was also in, I went to the weight room, I think one time this summer, and just to just check, I mean, I was just looking at the team. I like to see how people working, like work out and going things. And he has a he has like a Terminator type of demeanor, right? Like you talk about a skill-based thing, whether it's a whether it's like a Tiger Woods that plays golf or a kicker or just certain things where they just get very um, detailed in like the rhythm or just getting repetitions in. Nothing that I see from him in the weight room. From like I've seen quarterbacks lift in the weight room. Some of them don't always take it serious in how they manipulate the that time and i just remember seeing drew like he was like a part of the guys but then he would also do things with his center taking snaps getting throws off but always just that muscle memory of throwing the football and it's going through his different progressions even in the weight room setting so like me seeing him i always like to lean on the journey and the process of players where they come from and when we see him instead of just saying like hey he's just super talented right because like he is super talented the one thing that just impresses me with him is that i've seen the work that he's put in from afar and i love to see it pay off yeah it's just amazing and the way that i mean and he's been hyped i'm amazed by the poise and it's and it's in game but it's also like the way he's been heralded as this quarterback prospect for a long time, you know, though from really the minute that he committed to Penn state uh, over the Buckeyes, over some of the other places he could have gone. And he just like takes it all in stride. Like he acts so much older than he is. I'm amazed by it. I think that we're, that's what I, I think I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to point out is that I think that poise comes from the work that you put in. I, and, and it's just, I mean, those repetitions build confidence. And that's what I try to get younger football players to understand is like, put yourself in these different situations to build that confidence. So when you step on the field, that you're playing at a, a certain level. And I think we've seen that with him uh, in his first two games and just him being prepared. And another thing just to talk about, he wasn't always the high, uh, highly touted quarterback coming out, right? He was 
kind of underrated. He's like a three star. And then he kind of blew up at the, I was actually at the uh, Laguna, not the Laguna Beach, but we were at Manhattan Beach, a school around there. He was at the Elite 11 and he won like the competition against these other quarterbacks and he kind of rose up the board. So, like, when you're coming that under, like, he has like the makeup of somewhat an underdog and then people came on late. So, I think that even that five star status wasn't necessarily like a five star quarterback that we deemed in hot, like a ninth grade, like a Spencer, I mean, like a Spencer Rattler, right? He was. Right. Touted to be whatever, and, and that's a. It's just a different makeup depending on how that journey goes. So him having that kind of three star chip on his shoulder, working, 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 and then he gets acknowledged. I don't think he really had the mentality of a five star quarterback when he came out. He still had the mentality of a three star quarterback with five star tools, and I think that is like that is a that's a unique situation. And you and I, again, I'm pointing out that he puts in the work to see the results that we're seeing in these first couple games. We got to talk a little defense here. Uh, I know you had to be happy for Dominic DeLuca. Uh, he he had that first pick. It's like in his hands. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure it was killing him the whole time. And then I, it's not, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, it's not often you get that second chance, but uh, he sure made it pay and uh, helped put that game away in the third quarter. How, how exciting is that as a defensive guy, a former walk-on or, run on as James Franklin calls him uh, to get that pick six and not make up for that pick right in his hands that he uh, that yeah he it's, it's definitely cool to see I mean I'm just out of out of uh just being selfish I would love to see a DB have a pick six but the linebackers <laughs> really get some love you know that True. zero and I love to see I mean like you said a run on you come on you earn your stripes or earn that number zero to get into the field and make a play I mean pick six or I mean, interceptions are momentum changers and so I love to see that like to see some more turnovers being created. I know there was a fumble a little earlier, um, but that's that's the one area on the defense that I would like to see is just a little bit more turns. But I mean, when those opportunities come, gotta take advantage of them. And he was the first one to take advantage. So kudos, Dom. Sixty-three to seven, Penn State beats the Delaware Blue Hens to improve to two and zero. Justin King and Zach Kaplan talking about it post game after the Nittany Lions with a nice win, uh, dominant. And uh, they do look ahead next week to Illinois, which we'll talk about a little bit. Big noon kickoff, the bane of my existence. Uh, just c- come on, man. Just <laughs> games. They better move that Michigan game. I was texting about it with a couple of friends. I just, I know they won't, but God, it's just, it kills me seeing that we'll 10 a.m. Mountain Time start for me out west and noon. We'll kick. see what the numbers, what the numbers look like for that Colorado Brisket game. I think that'll be a determining factor if they move it or not. But I think it did pretty well, and it's just going to get to the evidence of like hey let's put the games at noon <laughs> keep it rolling if we get the right matchups because yeah the michigan game is one of that i would, i plan on going to and i'm like yeah it's actually like attending noon games but for sure <laughs> you, you you do yeah because they're done right i like planning them and i like attending them because you get the you get a chance to spend time with family afterwards it's 3 3 30 you can go to dinner they can come over and all you know and when you're playing or you're when you go to the game, you can get a nice dinner and chill with family afterwards. You can see the coaches, you know, night games, four o'clock. It gets kind of sticky with official visits or people in town. Yeah. It's just a lot of, you know, it's just a little different, but it's harder on the player to get up and get ready for it. So you hear from the fans, they have night, nights out uh, the day before. You got to get some Gatorade and Pedialyte in them to enjoy the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to bring up. Uh, with just with this uh, with this game today, uh, yeah, I mean, the really the only negative uh, was that sixty six yard touchdown Delaware had at the end of the first quarter there. Uh, hey, with, cussing um, up my screen, man. 
<laughs> it was the now it was the backup linebackers. Uh, like you mentioned, Franklin kind of rotating guys in. But what did you see on that play? Why were you cussing at your screen? Well, backup linebackers is one thing. The standard is standard, right? I think when you just yep. when you're playing any type of defense, uh, there's a level of gap uh, gap responsibility and scraping on linebackers. And so when you don't do the basic things and fundamentals, that's why I typically don't coach because I have very little patience for the fundamentals lacking in football, especially from the front, like the front seven uh, on defense. So I think that's, we just saw a situation where people were out of place in the way that um, he gapped that screen. I mean, he was untouched for 66 yards and that's unacceptable. I think regardless of it's the first string or a whole team of walk-ons, if you're playing at Penn State, you should have some gap control and someone should impede a run and play like that before he runs off. But they got it corrected after that. I don't think there was any more running issues, but that's just something that needs to get corrected. And then the nice thing. Yeah, they absolutely did. Because that second quarter, they come out, three touchdown drives. And the one that really impressed me was the one right before the half that I wanted to bring up as well. They go 52 yards and 49 seconds on six plays. And it ends with a Tyler Warren uh, two-yard touchdown catch from Drew Aller. I, I mean, and that, and at that point, he kind of felt like the game was over. 28-7, 21-7, weird stuff can still happen to make it a game. But, you know, when they come down, and when they can strike that quickly, I, it just makes it so demoralizing if you're, you know, whether you're Delaware, Sisters of the Poor, or an Ohio State team. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, I, I, just going back to the recruiting style, like I put a premium on one-touch guys, but guys that have the ability to – make big plays because it, it, it changes your mentality on defense, regardless if you're a receiver that has one catch for 60 yards and a touchdown versus seven catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. Give me that seven catches for 60 yards and a touchdown. Cause as, long, as a defensive player, I'm playing with complete confidence and I'm not really losing confidence off of anything that happens, even though the, the results are the same. When you have that one for 60 and you know that there's an ability for a running back to split his uh, split a, a seam and take it 70 or strike out for a touchdown, there's a little apprehension. Sometimes you're on your heels just from that standpoint. And that kind of that opens up the play, the playbook and ability to do different things and just puts the defense in a little bit more shaky position. So when they can score fast and early, not have to put together 12 play drives and march all the way down the field, that's my type of football. And then, like, third quarter, I mean, they come out and kind of do the same thing. We talked about Bo, Bo Pribula coming in uh, middle of that third quarter. I'm curious what you think about the Trace McSorley comparisons because he wears nine. He kind of looks like him body-wise. He runs into the end zone like him. What do you make when people kind of put that out there? That's lazy. It's lazy because only because it's number nine. He's more – He's more. Yeah. Remin- uh, he reminds me more of Tommy Stevens, to be completely honest. The transfer that, I mean, that left and went down to Mississippi State because, I mean, Tommy was big, athletic, he could run, um, he was twitchy, and I think Bo has more of those qualities with a little bit, uh, I guess, heightened arm talent. And so with that, it's pretty scary because I thought Tommy was an extremely incredible athlete uh, at Penn State. So I think think the trace comparisons are lazy, but I think he's more like Tommy Stevens. I like it. Yeah, it's certainly the style of play where he's just uh, – they have the package for him, and he's a, he's a big dude. It's hard to bring down. That's what I mean. Tommy Stevens was a big guy. Like, uh, I mean, you know, uh, Trace necessarily wasn't big, maybe 5'11", 200 pounds. I'm not the one – not to shorten you up, Trace. Six foot, you know, 200. No, but he had, he had heart, <laughs> you know, but he wasn't 6'5". Yeah. That's, there's nothing wrong with it's, one of that. It's, way, it know? is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, 
yeah, so I mean, it's it's uh it's kind of cool to see him like come in though and kind of put his own state with some uh, print on the game. And uh, I, I am curious though. I mean, do you 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 expect that package, some sort of package for him, will continue to be a part of the offense going into a conference play now? Absolutely. I mean, that gives us the defense defensive coordinator something to plan. Have to put in a whole period and take away from practice to make sure that it's taken care of and. It's just another thing to prepare for. I mean, I think you build up your arsenal in, in these first two games. Penn State has shown that their offensive bag can be pretty deep. Scoring 63 points this week, 30, uh, was it 35 or 38 last week? And Controversially 38. Controversially 38, right? But <laughs> still, in both games, I don't feel like all the weapons were completely used at the same time. Like there's never a reliance on one or one thing or the other. Like, Hey, how do you want to do it? We can run this football and we can dink and dunk all the way down. And we have a quarterback that can make the big throws that I mean, very few quarterbacks can make on the field. And I mean, there's talent, right? I mean, even there's just talent all over the place. And the fact that I really liked how they called the game today. I'm a big, again, uh, I say it all the time. I'm an identity guy when it comes to offense and how to judge offensive coordinators and how they call the game, whether it's the charisma from the play calling or the moxie that they have. And I, I like what Penn state has. I feel like there's the arsenal is deep. And as long as they, the play calling matches up and has a nice rhythmic flow to it, I think they can do some damage. Yeah, we'll certainly see what they have dialed up as they uh, get ready. I think we could talk about it now for the Illinois Fighting Illini on Big Noon next week in Champaign. This is an Illinois team that uh, they won by two over Toledo. They barely avoided getting upset by them. And then last night, uh, they, you know, on Friday night, if you're listening to this later in the week, we uh, they went to Lawrence, Kansas and lost by 11 to a Kansas Jayhawks team that's on the rise, but it's certainly been one of the worst FBS teams record-wise over the past 10 years. And, uh, you know, it's it's not an impressive Illinois team, especially compared to um, some of the ones they've had uh, in the last few years. But uh, and losing to Kansas last night, is, is it a little bit of a trap game? Is that kind of a stupid overused term to say? Like, with the whiteout ahead, like, how do you kind of feel about going into next week now? I believe track game trap games do not exist for elite teams. At least they shouldn't, right? Because every yeah, week we shouldn't. should be talking about getting better at what you're doing. And every time that you step on the field is an opportunity to dominate your opponent. And I, I'm, I'm a firm believer of treat your opponent the way they should be treated. So if they're losing to Kansas, there's no need to worry about a trap game. It should be, can I make them quit by the second quarter? Like that's the mentality. And when you have that mentality going into different games as a complete unit, Forget a trap game. I don't know what I, I don't I don't know what that is. Trap games are for, you know, guys that play down to their competition. I don't think this team is expected to play down to their competition. And we haven't hit again on full cylinders all across the board. They gave up a 66 yard run today. So they better go into the week figuring out how to make sure that doesn't happen again. Getting other guys involved on defense, turn making some turnovers. Like there's still areas that they can build on. So yeah, I don't I'm not I don't like that trap game crap. <laughs> I know I and I I like I like the way you, you you're looking at it. I just uh you watch this team today and I mean you think about I mean every Penn State fan knows how it went the last time they played Illinois and I just know that this team in short yardage will not be fooled and I'm thankful for that because if I ever have to watch Penn State football struggle in short yardage the way they did uh in that infamous nine overtime game I might I don't know I might 
blow my head through a glass window or something. That's a, it's a mentality and identity when it comes to short yardage and tackling, man. Like, who yeah. are you and where do you build around? I think before there's been a mentality or identity issue, whether it's different offensive coordinators. I know Jimmo had a, a nice passing offense. So he had a, a horizontal type of attack. So he leaned on that, right? So third and three. I mean, he's going to where he feels comfortable, and that's throwing the ball. I mean, same thing with some of the previous um, offensive coordinators, but when you have – Two dynamic running backs, man. That's why I'm a big fan of both Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. Nick Singleton gets a lot of national praise, but um, Katron's running style is something that I, I mean, I, I really enjoy because it's he has like a quick feet, quick nature, like from a zero to five runner. He's very shifty, has nice balance, and he delivers the blues at the end. Obviously, I mean, again, Nick Singleton's great as well. He can split holes, 70 yards, do all that stuff. He runs like a a unique skill set, set, right? And sometimes it gets undertaken of his skill that is that short short yardage type of thing. Because I'm not sure, I mean, I would like to look at the stats to see how many um, broken tackles are created by those two, but I feel like the first defender never takes them down. So whether you're, again, playing sound defense and different things um, in that realm, I mean, his touchdown on the first one, I mean, he ran through, the the guy was there on the two-yard line. Now, what are you going to (laughs) do? Like, run through him, right? So, like, having those different type of abilities and leaning into those abilities, right? Not because... I mean, they could we could have did that with Miles Sanders when he was here or Saquon. Oh, yeah. but it was just it was a different game plan and attack, um, attack mode. So that short yardage, being able to convert on third down, being able to stop guys on third down is extremely important. Football comes down to those critical moments and critical plays across the field. I mean, you can make impactful, unimportant. I can't say. I, can make important play or nice plays that are not impactful and i am a firm believer of playing your best at the critical moments and that's those third down conversions third down stops red red zone conversions red zone stops and creating turnovers and not turning the ball over so making sure that those things are (laughs) making sure those things are lined up throughout the whole football game making sure the percentages of wins are where you want them i think you're cooking with some good stuff all right, we got a few more minutes here. Um, obviously, Penn State with a 63 to 7 win over Delaware, 2 and 0. Now going to Illinois next week uh, for what is not a trap game, says Justin King, which I like. And I, 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 I like to think they're going to get asked about the nine overtime game enough this week that's going to piss them off to the point where, you know, they're going to be like, hey, you know what? To heck with the thing. Like half of us weren't even here. Uh, you know, like, like, like we're, we're going to take care of our business. I want to ask you though, Justin, like, I think most Penn State fans would have expected. If you said, all right, you're going to beat West Virginia by 23, you're going to beat Delaware uh, going, you know, going away. This is about where people expected them to be at 2-0, but I almost feel like they look better than I expected them to be. And you look ahead at the upcoming schedule, which we're allowed to do. The players shouldn't, but, you know, us as people who watch and cover the team can. You know, with Illinois on the road and then Iowa at home, a Northwestern team that's, you know, scandal-ridden, and then UMass. I mean, there really, there really isn't an excuse to not be undefeated going to Columbus at the end of October. I guess, like, has, have your expectations for this team changed at all? Has your excitement for the potential of this team changed from where you were before the West Virginia game? No, I think I've, I'm on record of having pretty high expectations for this team, just from a talent standpoint, from um, understanding the coaching staff and how they're built, um, the culture that's been built at Penn State to this point. Uh I, I, they're performing where I, I thought they would. And it's, I like the fact 
that how can I say this? I like the fact that they're winning by such a great margin, but there's so many things to still work on. And I don't feel like the the tank is full yet or like they're dialing up or, or hitting on all uh, cylinders across the board. So what that is, in, that is encouraging to me. So just in terms of a peaking as a team playing together, there's different parts moving in. Like I said, like Dante Sheba's coming in. You got uh, Trace, I mean, not, I said Trace McSorley. You got Drew Aller coming in. Uh, I mean, like someone like a Day Day Hardy hasn't hasn't played yet. Um, yeah. There's just a lot of pieces that are still missing, but they're still operating and winning by large margins. And again, those are the fundamentals of a championship December, January type of team. Yeah, and I guess uh, as we kind of jump into our like our final thoughts here, um, I, I I think I, I I just completely agree. And the sense that they just, you know, they're not playing with their food in some of these games. Like that 2018 game, you know, and that was a good Appalachian State team that came in in the opener. Opening games are always weird anyway. But, you know, that team, like, it took a lot to put them away. And, you know, they've struggled sometimes in games that they shouldn't have. And just to see them come out of the gate, really dominate in these first two games and have, you know, four very winnable but, like, good tune-ups as you kind of get ready for those games against the Buckeyes and Michigan and even a road trip to Maryland uh, coming up at the end of October and beginning of November, I feel like they're in a good spot to continue building and uh, really should be six and zero heading to Columbus uh, late October. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's a nice uh, juggernaut type of match heavyweight battle that we are looking forward to. And yeah, there is no excuse for them to lose any games prior to that. Um, but I think the buildup and expectation of the season is to, obviously beat Ohio State, Michigan, Iowa, all these teams and play in the college football place. So like with that being, I mean, and winning the Big Ten, obviously. So with that being, I'm sure a goal and based off of just potential personnel, um, just the match points of the team. I mean, you have to have a, a pretty, you have to start ticking different as a program and how you're, how you're moving, right? Like Saban always talks about the rat poison, whether it's good or bad and like, Right. As you get, as they're getting praise, they should that they should take that praise and put it into the confidence bag, and not the confidence bag of laying off the gas, but the confidence bag of pressing the gas. Right, it's just making sure that we fill out all the different areas of an elite football team. All right, this has been the State of State podcast, recapping Penn State's sixty-three to seven win over the Delaware Blue Hens. For Justin King, I'm Zach Kaplan, and uh, we'll check in with you coming up this week as the Nittany Lions get ready to go to Champaign and take on Illinois. Justin, thanks again. Thank you. One no, always. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter, at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube. 